Most people think that top leadership roles, and at the very least, the CEO role, are reserved for extraordinary people. The truth is, there's only a handful of behaviors that take an ordinary person into a world-class leader. Hi, I'm Eric Partaker, and today I want to share my journey from founder to CEO and some of the things that I learned in the process in the hope that it will help you close that gap between where you are and where you'd like to be as a leader, as a leader in your company, uh, within your work, within your role, or within your teams. Now, when I started off as a founder in my own company, I quickly recognized that there was a big difference between what it required to be a founder in the company and what it required to be a CEO of the company. Uh, or in other words, I, I started to notice that there was a big difference in what was required to you know, start a company and what was required to actually be a leader within the company. As a founder, you're pretty much a jack of all trades. So you have to, by necessity, do just about everything uh, in relation to your business. You have no choice. Um, I remember, for example, with a restaurant chain that we built, um, I remember three times uh, a week having to wake up at 4.30 a.m to drive down to the meat market and make sure that we had you know, enough chicken and steak and, and pork and, um, uh, and, and you know, beef for our, for our menu each and every day. Um, and that was just you know, exhausting, but I had to do it, right? There was no one else that was available to do it. And plus I wanted to make sure I was learning every aspect of the role. But as I transitioned from being a founder and a jack of all trades, I started to realize that I needed to become a more effective leader. I had to learn how to not do everything myself, but instead work more effectively through others. And at one point I started to question if I had what it took to be the leader that the company needed. And I remember I voiced those concerns with my coach. And, um, and I said, you know, I'm not sure if, um, if I have, you know, everything that, that it takes. And my coach at the time, he said, well, you know, of course you do. Uh, all the skills are learnable. You just need a bit more practice. Um, you just need to put some more effort into it. And then he came up with an idea, which I thought was absolutely ridiculous at the time, but uh, I'm very grateful for the suggestion. He said, you should go for the CEO of the year award um, here in the UK. And um, again, I thought you know, that was uh, too lofty of an idea, a bit overkill for simply wanting to improve as a leader. But sure enough, that massive goal inspired action that I never would have dreamed of taking. And I ended up learning quite a lot in the process uh, as well, which I'll be, be sharing with you in today's, today's video. Um, one of the things that I ended up doing was just going out and trying to soak up as much knowledge as I could. So with that goal in mind, working two years you know, prior to that goal, I started to interview a lot of top performing CEOs to understand, well, what's driving their success? You know, what are the traits that they associate with, with their performance? And if they could do anything differently, what might that be? I started tearing into lots of different books and articles on both leadership and peak performance, and also started to solicit feedback from my team and colleagues. So what was I doing well in their mind and, and what could I be doing better? And as I took all of this information together and constantly applied it, I ended up making that transition from founder to CEO. And I was even recognized as the UK CEO of the year at the Business Excellence Forum in 2019. Now, one of the books that I came across during that research phase for my own development is called The CEO Next Door. 
This is a groundbreaking book where they looked at over 2,600 leaders, CEOs, prospective CEOs, to understand what were the behaviors that transformed an ordinary person into a world-class leader. And what emerged was that you don't need to uh, have you know, a, a leadership gene or a CEO gene. You know, CEOs aren't born, they're made. All these skills and behaviors, they're all learnable. And when they looked at those that had achieved a lot of success, only 7% of the CEOs, for example, had went to an Ivy League school. Uh, another 7 or 8% hadn't even gone to any university at all. So it wasn't even their, their background or you know, their pedigree which was attributable to their success. It was the degree to which they mastered just four behaviors. And the first behavior is decisiveness. One of the hallmarks of a great leader or a CEO uh, is someone who prioritizes speed over precision in their decision making. And there's a few ways that you can do that. So one is you can actually focus on make decisions faster. I know that might sound a little bit simplistic and, you know, what do you mean make decisions faster? Uh, but yeah, just, you know, make decisions faster. Focus on something called Parkinson's law. You may not have heard of Parkinson's law, but it's simply the law states that work will expand up to the amount of time given for its completion. So if you decide to take a long time to make a decision, it will feel like it took a long time to make that decision. If you decide to make a decision quickly and give yourself a set you know, period of time much shorter than you would have otherwise chosen, you will make that decision more quickly. Another way that you can facilitate making quicker decisions is by involving others in the process. And I don't mean giving them a vote, but give them at least a voice. Try to you know, understand how other people within your team or around you view the decision, view the choice, and benefit from those various perspectives. Another thing that you can do to improve your decisiveness is to focus on making fewer decisions. So a lot of times we feel like we constantly need to be deciding things, but often some of the decisions that we're making, they would have just resolved themselves if we hadn't uh, taken any action. You have to be careful with that one, but sometimes things will resolve themselves. Um, other times we feel like we need to make all the decisions ourselves when actually we could have been asking our teams or those around us to go ahead and make the decision on their own. So help them define what it is that you want to be doing, but, but let them decide how it is that they're going to go about doing it. Another thing to help improve your decisiveness is to continuously improve your decision making over time. So every time you've made a big decision, or perhaps once a month, review all the decisions that you've made on your own and or together with your team and ask yourselves or yourself, what, what did I do well with regards to this, this decision? What could have I done better? And if I were to do this again, what might I have done differently? Last but not least, when it comes to decisiveness, and this actually isn't from the CEO next door, this is just from my personal uh, experience. When it comes to decisiveness, often we're just choosing between binary options. And if we just generated at least one additional alternative, a third or a fourth option, it could be a hybrid option or an option that we're not uh, currently considering, an option that emerged from consulting others from, for their points of view. If we just add at least one alternative option to the decision set, such that it's not a binary decision tree, 
then often it will speed up our decision making. So take all those points into consideration and ask yourself, how could I use these points more proactively to improve my decisiveness, which once again is a very key leadership behavior and transitioning from an ordinary person to a world-class leader. Now the second behavior that emerged in the book, The CEO Next Door, was engaging for impact. Being decisive is the first step, but we also must get the organization and the team to rally behind our decisions to actually drive results. And the first way we do that is by leading with what's called intent. So being super intentional about how we're leading and making sure that in all of our interactions, we're articulating, well, what is the vision of this company? Where are we going? What is the purpose of this team? Why are we pursuing these goals? So being very, very intentional and constantly using just about every interaction we can to tie back decision-making or thoughts or ways of being or systems or approaches that we're using back to our intent, back to our vision, what it is that we're ultimately trying to go after. The other way that we can engage for impact is through a process called perspective gathering. And this is where we want to tap into the various resources within a team, within a company, from the investors to the board to colleagues, uh, to customers, to frontline staff, and just understand what are their perspectives? You know, what are they, what are they, how do they truly think and feel about the situation, about the product or service, about the company, about the direction that you're going, about what we should be or should not be doing? And constantly understand empathetically where everyone is trying to, to you know, where everyone is coming from. And that perspective gathering helps you better engage for others, with others, and helps you better engage in general you know, for impact. The last thing that we can do to help us engage for impact is to install meeting rhythms and routines that regularly bring people together so that things can be discussed, that points of view can be considered, and that once again we're considering everyone's various perspectives. So two behaviors thus far, one is decisiveness, the other is learning how to engage for impact. The third behavior that emerged in their study was relentless reliability. And this is a personal favorite of mine. I really pride myself on my consistency, my drive and determination to get things done, no matter what is up against me. And I wasn't always like this. So I had a horrible habit of saying things, but not following through and actually doing those things. And what that does as a leader is it really damages your integrity. Because if as a leader you're perceived to say one thing but do another or not do at all, then it indicates in a tacit approval way that everyone else can also do the same. So that they can say that they're going to do things but not actually do them. So what does relentless reliability actually look like? Well, some of the ways in which I create that is using checklists for uh, aspects of the business uh, or, or the, the teamwork that are quite repeatable. And I don't want to have to constantly think through over and over and over again, because that just drives you crazy. And then of course you're spending too much time doing things that you've already done. So you want to reserve that brain power for, for other things. Uh, the other thing that I do is, is make sure that at the end of every single day, I'm reviewing any meetings or notes that I took from the day and making sure that I'm updating my to-do list so that I'm going to action the things that have emerged in the course of that workday. 
That could be following up uh, on action items from, uh, from meetings. That could be you know, following through with making a phone call that I said I was going to make. Uh, making sure that I'm getting a piece of information over to someone who requested something, but always making sure that that follow through is happening. And when you start to role model this way, this way of being, when you start to demonstrate relentless reliability that people can always count on you for doing the things that you say you're going to do, then and only then in a strong leadership position can you actually demand and hold others to the same models of excellence and standards that you yourself are showcasing. So it's at that point that you can start demanding and expecting of others that same level of reliability. But you must role model the way first yourself. So really take a moment and ask yourself, as a leader, are you really being relentlessly reliable? Do you really do all the things that you tell people that you're going to do? Do you follow up consistently? Do you have checklists to help you do things so that you don't constantly forget things? You know, are you showing up as strongly and as reliably as you could? So three behaviors so far. We have the first one, decisiveness. We have the second one, engage for impact. We have the third one, which is relentless reliability. The fourth and final behavior to transform an ordinary person to a world-class leader, as, uh, as discussed in the book, The CEO Next Door. And as I absolutely agree with in my own experience from founder to CEO of the year, that fourth behavior is the ability to adapt boldly. And bold adaptation is recognition of the fact that change is constantly happening. Our environment is changing. The market conditions are changing. People around us are changing. And we have to be willing to let go of the past, ways of being, ways that worked, previously old habits and routines and be willing to open our mind up for new ways of doing things and at the same time keeping an antenna for the future. Maybe the market's changing. Maybe the industry's changing. Maybe the old way of selling doesn't work anymore. Maybe a new way of product design is the future. And we have to constantly be aware of what these changes are on the horizon and adapt boldly to them. We don't want to be you know, last in that game um, we want to be ahead of the pack. We don't always need to be first either. Sometimes there's a, an advantage to moving second, but we definitely don't want to be dead last to the bold adaptation that say our market or, or team requires of us as a leader. One of the really nice ways to involve a team in this bold adaptation approach is to ask the team to consider that 18 months have passed and all of the objectives that the team had set out for itself have failed. You, didn't, you haven't hit anything. And ask them, what would be the plausible reasons for failure in each of those instances? If that was the case, they have to you know, believe that to be true. If that were the case, what would have had, had to have happened? And have them really think that through and then develop a plan to mitigate each of those potential reasons. So I hope you found that useful. I hope you have that sense of belief that you too, as I did, can transform yourself from an ordinary person to a world-class leader, whether that's you doing something similar to me, going from a founder to a CEO, or simply developing your leadership skills within your role or within your company. You can do it. And I know at times that you'll feel that I don't have what it takes because I felt these exact same feelings. You'll feel that the journey's too hard, um, that you might try and, and you might 
you know, you might fail. But have the belief that it is possible because so many people have done it before you. And if you just have that belief, if you optimize your environment, you know, make sure you're, you're reading up on the things that you think will aid you in your mission, focus on these handful of behaviors discussed today, and really go for it and take action, create some positive momentum, you can also close that gap. You can reach that next level in your leadership. Others have done it and you can too. I hope you found that useful and if you'd like to pick up more practical insights like this, please head over to my website at ericpartaker.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter.